Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we're on episode 45. It is September 17th. My name is Tyler and I'm of course with the Pratik and Nick as always. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. Last week was NFL Sunday week. Football season finally started again. It was probably one of my favorite weeks of the year. And this week is going to be week two. So I'm excited for football. But, you know, football is different yeah. from politics. But football is my other passion. So. And I was, at the, I was at the Giants game. The Giants, not Redskins, but Washington. I, I, can't, I can't be a fan of them just because of their names. Just now Washington. Like, I'm just over that. But it was a great game. It's the WFT team. It almost sounds like WTF, but, you know, we don't want to put labels onto things. They could have been anything. They could have been the Colonials. They could have been, like, the freaking crab cakes. I don't know. Like, come on. Figure it out, people. I feel like the Colonials would have been a pretty rough one, Tyler. I I don't want to riff on this too much, but I feel like if you're shying away from the word Redskins because it's insensitive towards Native Americans, then calling them the the Colonials is probably the worst alternative that you could have come up with. The Conquistadors. Oh, my gosh. Saying the words Indians is apparently offensive towards Native Americans. Anything is offensive at this point. Isn't that offensive towards Indians? You know, I'm not really. You know I mean? Like you're not like they're they're called Indians, but they're not Indians. Well, it's the Congress of American Indians. That's the official political institution. So I don't know, man. In any case, why don't we dive into the the news for this week? Starting off with another warlord, uh, chairman, <laughs> chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, went on uh, this sort of, so allegedly went on this anti-Trump um, sort of bend in a new uh, book that's being published next week by two Washington Post reporters, Woodward and Costa, where he was worried that Trump could go rogue. So he took, uh, he called up China and basically said, hey, we're not going to launch a kinetic strike against you. Don't worry about it. Like sort of saying like, hey, if the commander in chief, Trump, President Trump, decides to go to war with China, I'm going to let you know because this guy is nuts. I feel like that on its face, again, the book has not been published. So this is sort of hearsay through those two journalists and through the Washington Post. However, if that is the case, I don't know. Sounds a little treasonous. What are you guys thinking? So in my opinion, um, I don't think that I think this is kind of treasonous a little bit. Plus, I don't know why this all came out now. What, what like, happened, like, you know, seven, nine months later after Trump's not even in office, why this became a big political story? You know, Pratik, you know why. All right, we don't have to play dumb. It's because they got a preprint of the book that's being published next week, so it's timely because the book is being published, okay? You don't have to be like, oh, I don't know why they're getting on this track. You know why. Yeah. But see, what I don't like is the fact about Nancy Pelosi. So as soon as like in the book, it talks about how like as soon as all this stuff happened, Nancy Pelosi is like, we should throw Trump in jail for all this stuff because we know he incited the riots. Again, the point is that no one has any evidence on whether Trump incited the riots or not, which is why this stuff has been going on for the last couple of months. If they knew already, then it would have all been out there. Like everything else Trump's done. They've been trying to throw him in jail and get him impeached since he's like he's been elected. But... The point with this is, like, I don't really know how much fact we can put into it. We'll never really know with Millie because he is a commander-in-chief, a commander, uh, chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. So he has more knowledge about what's going on than we will ever have. So it's all kind of hearsay. It's kind of like he, sh- he said, she said. And to be honest, I don't know if it's a good idea to be talking to your Chinese counterparts without informing the American government people that you're working under before you're doing so. Because I think that that can, you know, go probably can be more problematic than it seems. I still remember the Jeff Sessions stuff and like those politicians during whenever Trump just got elected and how it was such a big deal because they were communicating with the Russians. So I don't know. I think that is kind of blown out of proportion a little bit. But at the same time, if there is some fact to it, then they need to look into this stuff in more detail. But there's nothing you can do anymore now because Trump's no longer in office. Well, let's just assume for the sake of argument that it was fact. Like, I mean, new information may come to light saying, hey, this whole conversation was misconstrued. It didn't actually go the way it was written as it went. But like just taking it for what it is, what it says in this article here is, uh, Miley, Millie was certain that Trump had gone serious mental decline in the aftermath of the election 
and with Trump now all but manic, screaming at officials and constructing his own alternate reality about endless conspiracy theories. Like, he's basically saying Trump went crazy, even though he was the president, the elected president at the time, he was just out of his mind and therefore couldn't control himself and he might start a nuclear war. It just seems a bit outlandish. And if you're going to go to someone that's not the president about an issue like this, wouldn't you go to like Congress or the Senate or like, it just seems like there are many other avenues you could take to uh, present like, Hey, I don't think this guy's fit for office anymore. Instead of going directly to your number one adversary in the world, China and saying, look, Look, what he basically said is, I've known you, General, whatever your name is, for five years. I'm going to let you know if there's any kind of strike that's going to come from us and happen to you. It just seems an odd thing to just go out and tell. Really, it's just kind of an upsetting situation. As an American, you should feel like, wow, this is kind of what people talked about when they talked about the deep state. And I'm not saying that is a real thing or it is a real thing, but it justifies that thought process that you have people inside the government that are actively working toward against President Trump. Even if you don't agree with him being in office, it doesn't matter. He was the president at the time. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. What are your thoughts, Nick? How do you see all this stuff? Yeah, I agree with Tyler. I mean, if you look at General Douglas MacArthur, who was considered a huge hero after we won in World War II, and then he sort of went nuts and said, hey, Truman, President Truman, we should go bomb, we should go nuke China. And, you know, thank God we have civil oversight of the military in this country. I think it's a really important thing that we have. And so for a general to go, and look, I get it. If you're working with a counterpart, let's say in a negotiation, I don't think that every single detail needs to be communicated up the chain as long as you're staying within that chain of command. However, this clearly does go outside that chain, if if real. So um, again, I'm not going to pretend to be some military expert. I am not in any case. However, to Tyler's point, I, I totally agree. If, if this is factual, if this is true, I do feel like it's wholly inappropriate for a top general to go to Again, one of our major adversaries or main competitors in this global system, especially all the stuff they've been doing around the, the borders of uh, Taiwan. I, again, it just seems a little... <laughs> I know he's saying Trump is reckless, but that type of behavior seems almost as reckless to me. Yeah, and the article seems to paint it as he did this after the January 6th events, after the the uh let's say riot at the capitol building but the problem is i'm pretty sure the first back-end phone call happened in october or november so it happened before that event occurred at all so he 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 had uh been doing this for some time even before trump got like ousted from office so that is kind of scary to hear that one of your top generals is going around even if i don't agree with joe biden like i could say joe biden has a mental decline would i want the generals doing this to joe biden the answer is no i wouldn't want that that's just an unstable yeah, Pratik, I know there's a few parallels here between this and then I guess I guess it all goes back to what happened in January. So why don't you kick it off with the fact that, you know, there's this rally coming up and a bunch of National Guard troops have been deployed in D.C. What's going on with that? Yeah, so there is the upcoming Justice for J6 rally. That's what they're calling it. And um, for this rally, the, uh, the U.S. government is put placing 100 National Guard troops on standby to help protect the Capitol um, because they're trying to make sure that is not like the deadly January 6th pro-Trump insurrection. Trump was impeached by the House for inciting the January 6th riot um, during, uh, like, whenever it happened, and they want to make sure that nothing like this kind of thing happens again, so they've ramped up security around the Capitol directed fences around the Capitol grounds, the Supreme Court, the Library of Congress, and all the congressional office buildings. They don't want it to like be like the storming of the Capitol, and they want to make sure that this, um, you know, that they can protect all people that will be in those buildings at those times. And Trump went out of his way to talk, talk about this on Politico, saying that this whole upcoming Justice for J6 rally is a setup, and there are more than 600 people charged in the January 6th Capitol breach. And he's saying that it has nothing to do with him. And, you know, these were just people that they were in support of Donald Trump, but he wasn't the one inciting the riot. And in this, he's saying the Justice for J6 rally is the same thing, and he has nothing to do with it. And he's not supporting the riots in any way. But, you know, that's how the news is going to pen it to you. So what do you guys think about this? 
Well, I think it was kind of smart of Trump to come out and speak before this event, because regardless of what happens, he's going to be blamed for the events. And what he mentions is either they're going to say I had a lack of spirit there wasn't enough energy. People don't actually support Trump. This was a this is a, a non-event or they're going to say these pro-Trump people are causing all this havoc and look what's going on at the Capitol and someone got shot or someone got bullied and pushed around. So no matter what happens, the news is going to be covering it heavily and they're going to try to spin it as, wow, look at Trump for X, Y, Z. So I think it's kind of smart of him to come out and say that. But um, I'm just hoping that this doesn't end up as a violent event. I think for everyone's sake, that would just be an awful thing to happen. Uh, But Nick, what are your thoughts? Look, I mean, I find myself agreeing with you again. I really don't think he can win uh, in this case, as, as far as Trump with the news media to say, hey, if he goes ahead and disavows it and the rest of it, it's sort of him turning his back on his supporters. And if he says, hey, go ahead and do this, then if something bad happens and if he hypes the whole thing up, then he's just going to get slammed for it either way. So I think it's a lose-lose in that case for him to say something about it. As to the event itself, I, I'm not too sure what's going to happen. Um, it, it could go either way as far as being a big thing versus a little thing, but I don't know, man. It's not the summer anymore. It's the fall. You know, we're getting back into, you know, school is in session. People are, you know, coming back with, I know the jobs report wasn't as optimistic, but um, I don't know. I just feel like there's not a whole lot going on this time of year, and if anything, I mean, you've got all these kids going to D.C. Uh, for college in the past couple of weeks at Georgetown, GW, AU, which is much further out of the city. You've got Howard. You've got, you've got a bunch of places in D.C. And so, I don't know. I feel like depending on how it goes, you could also probably get a lot of college kids who are just going out trying to see what happens. So if you see any aerial shots of this, don't be surprised if you see a lot of young people there. They're probably just drunk college kids who are showing up trying to say, oh, my God, look at this sick big rally going on. I wonder what's what's happening. I still, yeah, so, so, so I wanted to bring this back to our, our original discussion about this a little bit, just so we can debate about that, because I feel like none of us are in support of like, you know, these kind of like you know, kind of rallies that are going to be violent, etc. I'm in support but, of them. What do you mean, Pratik? Well, I'm in support of the rally. I just, I'm afraid people are going to come in and just cause havoc knowing it'll be blamed on Trump. I think if you support something, you should show up. Yeah. My point with this whole thing is that, like, since this stuff happened, the Democrats have been trying to make this a big deal about being very anti-Trump about it. Many, Many Republicans even, even people like Nikki Haley that are supposed to be running in, like, 2024 off the back of like, you know, having Trump support and all this stuff. If Trump doesn't run, a lot of these people have been very anti-Trump when it comes to the January 6th thing. And the fact is they've had all these hearings. They have this current hearing that they're doing right now. Um, I forgot what it's called exactly. It's called like the committee to investigate January 6th, something like that. But they have all this stuff going on. And they've been trying to prove that Trump caused it and all this stuff happened because of Trump and Trump was trying to screw over Mike Pence or something in there. Like, there's all this, like, rumors and conspiracy theories. I just find it weird how, like, there's no evidence about any of this stuff. There's nothing proving that Donald Trump caused any of this stuff. And if there was, believe me, it's the Democrats. The Democrats are really good at calling impeachment whenever anything literally happens. Oh, man, Trump did this. We need to impeach him. Oh, Trump did this. We need to impeach him. That was, like, all four years of his presidency until he literally left, until even now. They're still trying to impeach the guy that he was no longer in office. You're like, man, this gets crazy. But it's just, like, I I feel like when it comes to this stuff, they really, really, really hyped up that, oh, Trump caused this. But the fact is that it is Trump supporters that were pissed off about the election results. And because they're pissed off, they're rallying at the Capitol because well, they well, feel like that's how also, they're going to get their message heard. Also, they're, they're saying that the people that are being charged for the Capitol 6th riot are political prisoners. So do you, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that's a, a just reason to rally or or do you think that's not? Do you think it's kind of outlandish? I think that whenever Republicans riot once in like six, seven years, it becomes like the biggest (laughs) tragic event of all time. Whenever Democrats riot, like Black Lives Matter, all those riots, all those protests where buildings are burned down, like streets are closed, shops have stuff uplifted, people get hurt, people die. It's not a big deal because it's the Democrats. That's expected. They're doing this stuff for civil rights. It's for a good cause. 
whenever Republicans have a riot like this that has, like, two people die, unfortunately, and, like, you know, people, like, break into offices, this is, like, the worst insurgency of all time, and we should be ashamed of us being... Well, wouldn't you say it's a little different it happening at the Capitol, it happening at these congressional and Senate buildings? What makes it different, though? That's what I want to know. Because the Capitol and all these congressional buildings are all public buildings. Like, they're all financed and funded funded by every single taxpayer in the United States. Pratik, because they tried to stop the democratic process, because they specifically broke into the building trying to stop the vote. How did they break in? How did, how did they stop the democratic process, Nick? The democratic process was to ratify the election. That was what was going on that day. Everyone was voting to ratify the results of the election. And so by breaking into the building and then entering the chambers to try to disrupt the proceedings, yes, they absolutely were trying to stop the democratic process from taking place. So do y'all think that something like this was that bad? For it to be, you know, hyped up into this major news story that is still being investigated to this day on September 17th? I think it was a big deal. I think, I mean, some of what you said earlier is just factually inaccurate. You said if there was anything there, the Democrats would have, you know, voted for a motion to impeach the president. They did. You can go ahead and look it up. There was an impeachment process after it. Also, the Pence stuff, he, he specifically called it out in his speech before the Capitol. He's like, Mike Pence, he's got a big role to play in this. I, of course, I'm paraphrasing here, but he literally said, like, he's got to step up. And he sort of placed it on Mike Pence. And that's why you ended up seeing, well, actually not because of that, because people had brought this beforehand, before Trump had said those specific words. But the sentiment in the crowd, I mean, outside of the Capitol, in the front of it, not in the back of the building, which then you go across the street, you got the Supreme Court, you've got the Library of Congress for people who know the area. But in front of it, sort of on the mall, you know, between the White House and Congress, um, at the end of the mall, I mean, Pratik, you'll, you'll remember that. We talked about this on the show where they had the hang Mike Pence, you know, get up where they had the whole noose and the whole thing like. But as I said, this is all people that are pissed off. How many people were trying, talking about killing Trump whenever Trump got elected? Do you remember when Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump had their election and Hillary Clinton called the vote? And I don't agree with those people, Pratik. I do not think that is okay. I'm not saying I agree with them either. But what I'm saying is that at that time, did anyone take any action against Hillary Clinton? No. Did anyone take action against any of these people that were trying to kill the president and writing signs and protesting about not my president and all this other stuff, blowing up buildings? Pratik, you're, respectfully, you are distracting from what actually happened on that day. You're giving all of these things, all these red herrings that you're throwing out. None of them really relate to it. We're talking about January 6th and what happened on that day. And the fact is that people broke into the Capitol to stop the democratic process, which was to ratify the results of the election because... I mean, to give to give credit, I guess, to the righteous cause, they believed it had been stolen away from them unfairly. And they thought they were protecting the democracy. But in reality, all they were doing was hurting it. I'm just saying, I'm just comparing them. Like, if we talk about this thing and I mean, all I am saying is, yeah, sure. People can believe what they believe. I may not believe that. But what I'm saying is that when it came to all this stuff happening, the fact is that since it happened, they literally tried to pin it against Trump and they have found absolutely zero evidence saying that Trump caused the riots. Obviously, you can connect indirect things saying something was caused because of Trump. Oh, Trump said that, you know, Mike Pence has to ratify the election. That means Trump's trying to hang Mike Pence. That's like BS. Like, All right, I, I picked it bad. All right, that's fair. But when he did say they're trying to take your country away from you, you need to fight like hell. That's a pretty clear indication that, hey, you actually have to go do something about this because they're trying to take your country away from you. There, to be honest, Nick, there have been protests where politicians on both sides of the aisle probably... I know. Nancy Pelosi is equally, if not more, guilty of saying that at her rallies. I agree. Yeah, and that's all my point. I mean, we agree. I'm but she never said, hey... Um, people in attendance go storm the California state legislature and stop them from ratifying the results of a vote. She never said that. Oh, oh my gosh. It's, but he did right. it. There's no evidence saying that he said that. This is all hearsay. This is just what people believe because the news feeds you stuff and there is no evidence from him actually saying any of Pratik, I oh, literally thanks. listened to the speech live. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. I guess we had different takeaways. But see, what did, he say? what did he say? 
The whole fight like hell. Like, you, said, you need to go no, to the capital. It's not the same thing as go storm yeah, the capital and break down all the offices. That's like, you can't connect those things. Fight like hell can mean anything. And fight like hell can mean I need to call all these congressional people that are all corrupt politicians and tell them I need them to do something. That can be fight like hell. Fight like hell can mean anything. But what I'm saying is you can't connect that to him inciting this big old riot. But even if he did incite this big old riot, the fact is that he is no longer president. So why are we talking? He literally said the words, we will stop the steal, fight like hell. What would that be telling people to do? When he says, go march over to the Capitol, stop the steal, fight like hell, what does that mean, Pratik? Similar things like that. Did you see a bunch of Trump rioters, like, you know, protesting everywhere we went in California, New York, all these blue states? Nope. So, like, it's it's a weird connection. Pratik, I, I don't know, dude. I think if you're standing, like, literally like a stone, well, not a stone's throw. He's, he's what, like, one mile, maybe, from Congress? from where he was speaking to the crowd. If you've got thousands of people, Trump can draw a crowd. He's a popular guy. He's a charismatic charismatic speaker. People want to go listen to the guy talk. And when you've got thousands of people and you literally direct them, go on down to the Capitol, stop the steal, fight like hell. To Tyler's point, yeah, what I was saying, what I was saying was a stretch as far as go stop the democratic process. He didn't say that. But when he's saying the election is stolen, it was all rigged, you need to do something about it. You need to stop the steal. Uh, to me, that's like, you are telling your audience an action to go do. And if they're going to the cap, like, uh, he's telling them where to go, what to do, and how to kind of conduct themselves. So, I don't know. That you can make that claim, but, I mean, in, in on all honesty... You can say the same thing whenever you say you can go to the Capitol by them contacting congressional officials for the Capitol, which is what most of these people do all the time anyway. The amount of phone calls that interns get from pissed off people is insane. And like, the That's thing is that they're not going to accomplish anything. But I think we have a standstill here. We'll just move on to China. Sure. Yeah, let's move on to China, our favorite uh, buddies from the East. So our first topic on China is China threatens to sail its navy into Hawaiian waters as the U.S. and Australia announce a defense pact uh, just days after a flotilla of four Chinese vessels sail past Alaska. So basically, China's been provoking the U.S. The U.S. is also... I don't, you could call it provoking. They've been in the South China Sea having some action over there. China doesn't like that. They're trying to claim that territory for themselves. And China's going, this is simply a response to that. Um, so we've seen this kind of action before. Do you guys think this is different than what we've seen before in, in provoking each other? Or do you think this is just uh, the same old, same old? The South China Sea has always been an issue. It's always going to be something that China's going to retaliate against. And they're going to show their strength by uh, sailing next to our international waters. I was going to say, I talked enough the last time, but yeah, why not? Let me just uh, throw out my two cents. I, I think it is a little different, and here's why it is different. Um, I think a little bit of this boldness is in response to sort of the deal that we just signed between the U.S., U.K., Australia. I forget mm -hmm. if there are any other parties, but basically we're saying, hey, Australia, you're very close to China. Things are tight. We're going to give you some nuclear submarines. And that, you know, France got all upset about it, right, rightfully so in my opinion you know france has always felt left out of the great power struggle ever since them and uh britain tried to get involved in egypt what was it in the the 60s and the u.s came in and said stop doing this france we're the top dog and france kind of backed down ever since that i mean look the french have been emasculated for half a century now uh they're they're just looking for whatever they can do you know i know they're still hunting the warlords in uh different parts of africa and their former colonies but Apart from that, what is France really doing in the world? I don't know. Also, the French, dude, the, the French government, I gotta say, I, I really dislike it, but maybe that's for another episode. Um, but in any case, Pratik, you, you were so kind to turn it over to me. What, what do you think about this, the U.S.-China relationship here with them sailing into our waters a bit more? I think they're just testing their horizons. I feel like this is a weird, like, we don't have a Cold War necessarily with China, but we have some, like, we have some hostile conflict. It just lingers. And that's the situation with the U.S. and China. It's just one of those that, like, America does some things to piss them off. China does things to piss us off. And, it all, and all it is is, like, it's just, like, a coup that's being set up where, like, neither side is ever going to get anywhere. They're just trying to see, it's, like, testing their horizons on trying to piss off the other side. I don't really How think anything of cool? it. Really? I don't know. I feel like what... that's exactly what's been going 
going on. A cold war with Kern. Kind of, yeah. And I, again, I don't really think that it means anything per se. Like, I don't really see China doing anything against the U.S. Because they know they'll lose. But that's because I'm pro-America. But I think that, you know, in the larger context of things, this kind of stuff happens all the time. And they're just, I mean, this is going to be like a minor skirmish and then it's going to get sorted out because the fact is that America and China are so interconnected when it comes to trade, economics, and all this other stuff that there's not going to be anything that goes full out scale to that extent unless something else brings them into a military conflict. That's how I see it. I just don't think that it's like to that level. I would just say the rhetoric, especially around Taiwan, has been escalating greatly. So recently, Taiwan said to the U.S., we want to change the name of something from the Taipei, whatever the agency was, to the Taiwan version. And China basically said they're willing to go to war if anyone wants to change the name from Taipei to Taiwan. So I think that's an issue that could certainly start some kind of hot war. And again, maybe they're just speaking. They're not actually going to do anything about it. But China's rhetoric does seem to be escalating over time as they become more comfortable, they're more economically prosperous, and they're even cracking down more internally in their own country. So I do fear China a little bit. I don't think we're going to be in this period of, I'm going to provoke you a little bit, you'll provoke me forever. I think eventually some some spark's going to strike and we're going to have some major issues, but who knows? Okay. Uh, the next topic, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken deleted a tweet on Thursday that criticized the Chinese government's recent actions in Hong Kong and said the U.S. stands with the people of the territory. So what he had specifically said was uh, Beijing should let the voices of all Hong Kongers be heard. The PRC's disqualification of district, district councillors only weakens Hong Kong's long-term political and social stability. We stand with the people of Hong Kong and continue to support their human rights and fundamental freedoms. This tweet was taken down and later... Uh, they issued another tweet essentially saying something similar. The PRC's disqualification of seven pro-democracy district councillors undermines the ability of Hong Kong to participate in their governance. Governments should serve the people they represent. Decreasing representation goes against the spirit of Hong Kong's basic law. So they slightly altered the tweet but didn't completely retract it, I'd say. The big statement they took out was, we stand with the people of Hong Kong and continue their support for human rights and fundamental freedoms. Um, Do you guys see this as a big kind of statement? Um, do you think he mistweeted when he put it out there? What are your thoughts? To be honest, I think that this is the weird stuff that always happens when it comes to China and our relations. Because we are against a lot of the things, actions that China does. We are against them occupying Hong Kong. We are against their situation with Taiwan. We are opposed to a lot of the democratic you know, issues that they have in that country, including things like death penalty, things like how they treat their people, their, misri- their um, poor labor rights, how they handle working conditions we disagree with a lot of things with china and i think this is the same thing but the fact is that no american leader really has the balls to like go up and stand up against china and the same with china like china all they can do is like piss us off like you know go into our seas and trying to be like oh are you gonna start a fight with us now like this is the same thing that always happens and personally I think that we need to stand by our statements. I hate the fact that we have all these politicians that can't believe anything that they're saying because they're too scared to say it. And this is the same case with every single major issue that we have with either China or Russia. We make all these bold statements like we're going to shut these people down. But then when it comes down to push and shove, they can't do anything. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Republican or Democrat. They all both suck at like standing up for what they believe in. It's just like, oh, we believe in this, but we don't want to piss off China, so let's not say anything. And then whenever Trump goes out of his way to be bold, we become all anti-Trump. I think it's the same thing all around, and I hate that about politics, but that's just a um, segment of how politics works, in my opinion. It's, it's, it's not only just politics. You see it in entertainment, too. This recent, there was a recent Marvel movie that came out. It was centered around a Chinese guy. I forgot the exact name of the movie. Apparently, it was pretty good. But they didn't allow the release of it in China because a few years ago, the main actor had made some statements about how the Chinese were violating human rights. And Disney lost a lot of money for that because they can't open up in the, the Chinese market. So you see people tiptoe constantly around this issue. It sucks to see, but it's all driven by monetary incentives. Um, it's kind of sad to see. Um, Nick, any thoughts? Well, to me, that just means they're going to be doing more vetting, which, again, is kind of freaky, where we're growing up in an age where people are aligned since the time they're kids. And, you know, you're bound to post something stupid at some point. You know, the Internet is forever. And if you 
I don't know. I guess if Disney starts looking, oh man, what has this person said in the last 10 years? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like that's uh, something people So need none to of watch us out are going to be actors, apparently. Hey, you never because know. Because <laughs> we've all said something about China on this podcast. So. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's a good point. But yeah, I mean, I agree with, with uh, what you guys have said for the most part. Although for Pratik, I definitely, as always, want to disagree, and I have to here. You know, Anthony Blinken—he's not a run-of-the-mill politician. He is a political appointee in an executive agency, and as such, he has to be responded to what the White House wants. If the White House's messaging changes on something, or if he goes out of his way and says, "Okay, I think this is in line with them," but here, let me go ahead and act, and his comms team puts out this uh, this tweet then yeah, honestly, chances are Blinken probably reviewed this, but for him, he never put it out himself. It was some comms person in the State Department. And then they probably got smacked down by another political appointee or someone in the White House for that matter. So frankly, I don't think this is him being like, oh man, I'm going to put out this strong statement and then delete it. I think it's literally just a disconnect between what the White House is thinking and then what you know some random person in an executive agency in the State Department decides to put up on Twitter. Okay, but if it had been the Trump administration, would they have No, no, man. If this that, was Trump think? administration, if Donald Trump put it out because some intern wrote it for him, they would have been like, oh, Donald Trump's racist because he put out this tweet. They're like, nah, he didn't put out this tweet. It was just someone working in the White House because the White House has 5,000 million people working over there. Not a number, but that's why I said it like that. Trump would be like, fuck it. Let it run. Let the statement live. He's saying to some extent. <laughs> Um, I just think this, my main point is not Anthony Blinken. I'm talking about just politicians in general in that side. Like, yeah, sure, Anthony Blinken is like a puppet to whatever the White House tells him to say. But I'm just saying that the White House doesn't stand up for anything. It doesn't matter whether it's a Republican administration, a Democrat administration, who cares? Like, in the end of the day, when it comes to China, the most intense thing we've done is we've charged tariffs on them. That's as hardcore as we've gone. We can't do anything. Like, I honestly feel like I feel bad for all these people, people that live in Hong Kong, people that live in Afghanistan, like these people are all oppressed and we don't do anything about it. We just sit there, act all smart and, you know, we don't take any strong stances. And whenever someone does take a strong stance, we shut it down because we don't want to take any strong stances. We don't want to meddle the waters. We don't want to piss off anybody. Like, yeah, Afghanistan is a little different matter, but that's what I've seen with Russia, too, like. Russia, they have all this. Po- they have, they've tried to poison their opposition leader. They put people in jail. They censor people. They do all kinds of sketchy things. But we don't do anything to really like you know stand up against them unless somehow like you know Donald Trump's on the other side and they're like oh we need to take stands and then when they get into office they do the same exact stuff. Not like Trump's policy has been any different from Biden's. Biden's done exactly the same thing as Trump except he screwed up in Afghanistan. That's about it. And I just don't know, like, I feel like we worry about this stuff, we think about this stuff, all these protesters and rioters and activists, they like to talk about this stuff, but you're not accomplishing anything. The politics people are just paid off by some other corporate interests and they're doing whatever their people tell them to do that are giving them money. It's not like your word or my word matters. They're all corrupt hacks. And the fact is that whenever something like this happens, whenever you know hong kong people are being oppressed and they're not really given the right rights and they're being treated like you know like they have to be a part of china and if they have any more autonomy then they're you know doing something wrong i feel like all that stuff goes out the window whenever it has to deal with america taking a stand because we like to pick and choose when we take stands and we take a lot of wrong stances and this is one of those that i feel like we need to take a stance because anything that happens in China is going to affect the world. It doesn't matter how you feel about China and how many people live over there and how much your economy revolves around them. Because not like China cares about what America is doing whenever we make stances and we make decisions. They go out and get and, you know, speak out, speak their mind. We should do the same thing. But we don't because we're America. Hmm. And even above that, as a small segue, did you guys, do you think that's only... Do you think that's only true for political interests? Because in uh, Russia, actually, Google and Apple recently removed uh, Alexei Navalny's uh, voting app from the stores as the Russian elections began. So we see these giant American tech corporations just simply bowing down. Sorry. And it's only those two countries. There's not like we're doing this all around the world. We do this with the two most authoritarian countries that are our biggest adversaries 
that we also partner with when it comes to a lot of economic things, energy-related things, and other interests that are common. China and Russia. And we hate both of them. They hate us too. They hate each other as well. It's like this weird triumvirate situation where, yeah, Google, Apple, any of these, Facebook, any of these like major icons, corporations, any of those, because they have a lot of interest tied, because they have a lot of consumers tied, they don't take any stances on anything. They don't have the balls to. Same with America, our government. Same with those governments. Not like Russia's really done much. They tried to promote that they hacked this election and they haven't found any proof proving anything. But even if they did, like what Putin's going to be like is like, yeah, I did it. What are y'all going to do? So wait, what would you suggest to do about this? Because it seems like it's a structural issue. Either it's an economic or political interest tied to these authoritarian nations. How do you get around that? I don't think that you can do anything about it because the system is so corrupt all the way through and everyone is subject to some other person's contributions, donations, financial, like, you know, like, you know, assistance, or they have consumers and a bunch of citizens that are using their products tied to it. But I feel like all you can do and all you can hope from politicians is that they speak their mind and they feel what they're, they say what they feel. And the fact is whenever politicians that you're electing or whenever politicians that are working for some administration that you have elected, if they can't speak their mind and say what they want to say because they're so worried that, you know, there's other interests and things that are going to be tied to it, it completely eliminates the whole facet of freedom of speech. And it just makes us feel like we have all these people that are in charge that don't have the balls to say anything. doesn't matter whether we agree with them or not, but I want people to at least have ability to say things. Like, look at Elizabeth Warren. If every politician was like Elizabeth Warren and thought whatever she felt like and said whatever she felt like, the world would be a better place, whether I like Elizabeth Warren or not. That's what I want. I just want people to be willing to say what they feel and not be told what to say and feel restricted and constrained from saying it. I don't know. Well, Pratik, that's what I like about you. You speak your mind, we get into it. Uh, I know we're friends at the end of the day, but... No, it, it is really nice for someone to actually say what, what they're thinking. And I guess on that, here, let me say what I'm thinking. I think your stuff about corruption, total BS. I think if the United States had a Chinese company operating here and we decided, hey, uh, we have a law that actually says, or just we as a government do not want you to operate in a particular way, I think China would have no choice but to suck it up. I don't think that's a matter of our government being corrupt for not allowing a Chinese big corporation to do business in this country. I think that's protecting our state sovereignty and national interest. And I'm using state sovereignty not in the way that we sort of think in the United States, which is, you know, an actual state like Alabama or Florida or whatever. I'm using it in the international sense, which is, you know, a state sovereignty over its own land and uh, geographic territories and peoples and the right to violence. Well, a monopoly on the use of force. But I, I guess that's part of, I don't know, that's the international order that we've helped set up. And I think... I, I think that's a good thing to play by. It's part of the reason why, as much as critique, I've heard you complain about the UN on this show. Thankfully, at the end of the day, we don't have to care about them that much because it all comes down to state sovereignty and the UN goes up. Oh, well, uh, you are in charge of your borders. What's going on within your borders here? Uh, Saudi Arabia, you keep doing whatever you're doing. And you were saying it only happens in those two countries, really, Russia and China. I mean, I agree. That's where a lot of it ends up happening. But look at, for example, at Gay Pride Month, you'll see a lot of corporate logos um, in those countries. They won't do the LGBTQ flag, uh, you know, image, which we can all say is a cash grab and pandering and the rest of it. But at least it is pandering. At least they're doing something there to e even stand up in a very lukewarm fashion. Whereas, you know, in Saudi Arabia or if they're operating in Iran, then yeah, no, they're not going to change their logo. They're not going to do anything to support that community. And again, that's just part of business and trying to maximize profits. So I don't think there's a way of changing that. And frankly, for the United States sovereignty and best interests in mind, I don't think we should. That's fair. I mean, again, we have different, different beliefs on this, but I just think that that's part of, I just feel like it's all part of freedom of speech to some extent. And like, yeah, I think that the problem that I have with a lot of authoritarian countries is that there is no freedom of speech. I like the fact that America has freedom of speech, but when it gets to that level, that freedom of speech goes down the drain. That's what I don't like. Well, it's almost like we have to lower our level of freedom of speech to account for all these other interests that we're so heavily tied to. We can't disobey China, say something against China if we want to get certain outcomes. And 
to for the Chinese, they're actually benefiting from the fact that the government controls so much of things. They'll say, yeah, our businesses can't do this. And that's just they're just laying down the law. They don't have the opportunities and freedoms uh, companies do here. So I don't know. It's give and take. I, I think I, I would probably realistically lean more towards Nick. But in an ideal world, I would like to say, hey, Facebook, you want to operate in China? You can only do that if you abide by certain laws that we uphold, certain values we uphold, freedom of speech and the rest. Um, but with that, you guys want to move on to the next topic? I'll, I'll move on to the next story. So um, France went on a spur of attacks on the ISIS leaders in Western Africa. So French military forces have killed the leader of a Western African affiliate of Islamic State by drone, drone strike and a decisive blow against the group and vowed to continue hunting down jihadist leaders to restore stability in the Sahel. Sahel is a region in uh, Western Africa and Mali. So Adnan Abu Walid al-Sorawi was the head of Islamic State in the Great and Sa- Greater Sahara. And he was trying to, you know, he was, you know, inciting violence in the area and, you know, trying to, inc- you know, promote, you know, we need to be anti-America, anti-West. And France shut him down and they killed him and with a drone strike. France estimates a group is responsible for the deaths of 2,000 to 3,000 people, mostly Muslims, and that it still has hundreds of fighters, although Parley said its leadership was now less international and more from the local Fulani tribe. Again, there's a lot of stuff that we don't really know much about. But overall, the big storyline is that the Macron government is going out of their way to try to kill a bunch of ISIS terrorist leaders. They're trying to prove that they're trying to do something to make themselves and the world a better place. And they want to show that, you know, if America can't do it, at least France is doing it because they're making it a top priority for their French military to kill off terrorist leaders that are aligned with ISIS. So what do you all think about this? I've got two things. Pratik, one, you mentioned the Sahel, just to clarify to people listening, it's not just in West Africa. It's actually this very old trade route, trade route sort of Southern Sahara, where it extended from West Africa, like Pratik was saying, all across the country, up through the Middle East. It, it sort of stops once you, to Pratik's point, once you get to um, Eastern Africa. However, that was primarily an Islamic trade route. They used to, you know, carry spices, slaves, minerals the the rest of it it was a very popular trade route and that's where you actually see along those old geographic trade lines where a lot of these insurgents um islamist groups are which again gets back to that historical trade route where it connected to the middle east but the other thing i wanted to say on it is i don't know pratik you're framing it like you know france is standing up for the united states in the west and frankly i i mean maybe i guess but i just see it more as they're being involved, you still have the French Foreign Legion, Still, be, people still become French foreign citizens that way. Um, but also another thing is, again, they're just projecting their power and their influence. And part of that is through um, places where they used to have colonies. So you're looking at places in West Africa, France played a huge role there. That used to be part of the Francophile world, Francophone world. So um, I don't know, again, to me, it just seems like, hey, they're trying to do, you know, trying to play good global citizen, but if anything, it really still is tied back to France's history and past involvement in that part of the world in Africa and their former colonies. And I, I don't have anything to add. I'll just say, Pratik, you pronounce it Macron. It's Macron. <laughs> no, but that's all I have to say. Uh, moving on. Um, one sec, though. I want to talk about this. What, what are your thoughts on Macron, Nick, just in general? See, I my opinion about Macron is that Macron is like, the most Trump-esque figure in Europe. He's like the closest thing you can get to Trump, but unlike Trump, he doesn't really live up to his promises or anything. He just kind of like says a bunch of stuff. He's very anti-international stuff if it doesn't have anything to do with France. He's very pro-France to the core, and you know he's had a lot of screw-ups in his presidency, and it hasn't really necessarily had to do with him, but it's happened under him. Like the riots, there's been protests, there's been stabbings, yeah, the yellow vest and the rest of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think France is dealing with this very strange thing where, you know, you think of the major cities like Paris, but other parts of the country are becoming more conservative over time. You have some of the deep socialist um, areas, and for example, um, sort of along the coast of France, where, you know, these are traditionally kind of more working class, in the, in the hinterland, the more working class French citizens. And over time, 
a lot of those families have sort of shifted from being a little bit more socialist towards the conservative side. And obviously, it's not the whole country. France still is pretty far to the left overall. However, you are starting to see these gains through, um, look at uh, Le Pen's party. And, you know, sure, some of it is along ethnic lines, but other parts of it, you know, they've got that same sort of economic populism message that Trump was pushing. And I get what you're saying that Macron is sort of, you know, France's, you know, boisterous version. Although I think if you're looking at Europe as a whole and including Eastern Europe, I think Hungary's leader, I, I'm blanking on it. Is it Milosevic or I, I'm blanking on his name, but he's far more like Trump than Macron could ever be. But that aside, I mean, to your point, yeah, he's trying to be sort of a strong man <laughs> in a sense. Actually, never mind, not a strong man. But you know what? He's, he's trying to make a splash. He's trying to get France back to the glory days where what they did actually mattered. But they're uh, always going to be second rate in today's society. And sure, they've got their wine, but you can just turn to California for that now. Were you referring to Victor Orban? Yeah, Victor Orban. Sorry about that. Oh, I think, oh God, who is Milosevic? I'll have to look that up. Was he the Serbian guy who committed genocide? Jesus, I have to. <laughs> anyway, that was a tongue slip, but yeah, Orban. Yeah, okay, so that was all my thoughts. I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Like, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion on this stuff, but I just feel like, I don't really like Macron, just from what he said, his news stories, but I don't know much. I feel like in France, Marine Le Pen's party is a little bit more extreme to the right. At the same time, I feel like it's literally between her and Macron. It's not... On Marsh. Yeah, it's not... It's like that's your, you know, political situation over there. And they have a bunch of parties in France, but those are the two primary parties right now. So, yeah, we'll see how that comes up. Yeah, by the way, by the way, well, one thing I want to mention on that, you know, people all the time say, oh, we've got this garbage two-party system, the rest of it. Dude, look at Ghana, look at France, look at any other country where they have multiple political parties. Sure, you could say there's a lot of value in the fact that you have some of these minority parties, which then gets the seat in the legislature and can influence things. I think we should have that too. I mean, you've got a couple libertarians. You've got what, what, like one or two independents with Bernie and other people. But I think that should be expanded in our country. However, when you look at these systems, for example, take Ghana, you do end up having two parties that get a plurality of the votes. And even though you've got this healthy mixture of all these different smaller parties, it still always ends up being two major parties. And sure, they can cycle out over time. But anyway, that's just my opinion. So yeah, um, let's move on to the next story. Nick, you got something on Nicki Minaj and the COVID vaccine. Oh boy, do I. So Nicki Minaj <laughs> laying it down on Twitter. She's saying, oh man, guys, I'm... I'm having second thoughts about this. My uh, cousin got the shot and his testicles sw got swollen, something along those lines. Friend of a cousin. Oh, sorry, friend of a cousin, not her actual cousin. Um, but, I mean, that's the thing. She's like, guys, her testicles are fine. Look out for this thing. And then Fauci was like, hey, Nikki, what are you saying? Um, who knows? Maybe he's a secret fan, but he did have to shut her down for appearances. Um, and yeah, the, right, the White House reached out to her, again, recognizing that she's a big influence culturally still, even though Cardi B took her place in, in many cases, and there's you know, this whole rivalry there. But I don't know. That's, that's sort of the story about the swollen testicles. Pratik Tyler, how do you feel about it? Yeah, well, she actually couldn't go. So the whole reason it popped up into the news is she couldn't go to the Met Gala event where you may have seen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had the uh, Tax the Rich dress. Um, but she couldn't attend the event because she wasn't vaccinated. People are wondering why you weren't vaccinated, and that's how this whole story came to be. Um, Fauci came down, laid the law, laid down the science. They'll let her know what's going on. Uh, but the, this actually points to a different issue, and I don't know how much you guys want to touch on this, but uh, I, it's somewhere around like 75% of African Americans are not vaccinated at this point. And I don't know how representative Nicki Minaj is, but like, that seems to be an issue and no one wants to touch the subject because they're going to be seen as racist. And I guess uh, I'll burn my hand on the fire a little bit, but like, how do we deal with that? The fact that we have one racial group that's heavily not being vaccinated and that's causing an issue for pretty much everyone. Well, Tyler, I think, Oh, sorry, Pratik, not to talk over, <laughs> not to talk over you, but I think there is a clear solution to it. I think you got to reckon. Well, to, to your point, yeah, it's a fiery subject and it, it could go pretty poorly if you approach it the wrong way. I think, um, oh my gosh, 
I can't believe I'm going to bring this up, but for work, I was listening in on this webinar about um, electric vehicles and sort of how they're being built out across the country and how a lot of black car owners feel like, hey, um, this is for rich white people in big cities. I'm not one of those people, so electric cars are not for me. And there was this group, EV Noir, Noir, um, which is uh, founded and run by black women who kind of connect these car owners and try to promote EV adoption in places like cities where they make compelling cases like, hey, black people actually have worse cases of asthma. You've got worse pollution. You've got all this stuff where electric vehicles would be really good for the community, not just, you know, fun to drive and cool. And I think part of why the reason I'm bringing that up is one of the things they mentioned in this webinar series, which was hosted this this week a couple days ago, was that it's really important to engage the right people in the community that others turn to and can trust. And on the one hand, they're selling their own consulting services, so take it with a grain of salt. But on the other hand, I think that's a really good plan is reach out to who these people are, whether it's an influencer or someone who people trust, whether it's, I mean, frankly, in a lot of cases, it's gonna be these church groups and others where you gotta find people, for example, the issue with the vaccine right now, it's not over its effectiveness, it's over trust. People do not trust the government, people do not trust you know, Fauci and others. And so again, how do you, how do you get to that core of trust? And it's going to be different from community to community. And in the African American community and the black community in this country, you're going to have to go and find those, those areas who you can sort of target and as the white house, get your message across. And I think that's why what they did reaching out to her was smart, sort of recognizing, yeah, you have some influence, you know, over the whole community in a sense, but you know, Nicki Minaj is just, you know, she's a singer. She's a rapper. That's that doesn't represent that's not going to reach every single black person who is hesitant about the vaccine. So you have to take a multi pronged approach. And I think part of that is engaging a lot of these church groups in cities where, again, that's sort of a gateway to who do people trust in the communities? You go to the Boys and Girls Club, you go to the church groups, you go to these cultural influencers. And I think that's how you kind of spread out. But those are just my two cents. Pratik, what were you going to say? They had an article about this. This was early on, February 2nd, 2021, where they were discussing how black vaccine hesitancy rooted in mistrust and doubt. So the story was saying that black, Hispanic, and Native American people are about four times more likely to be hospitalized and nearly three times more likely to die of COVID vaccine, COVID-19 than white people. Yet African-Americans have nearly the lowest rates of vaccination among any ethnic group in fact, white Americans are being vaccinated at a rate three times higher than black Americans. And many of them, the, of the African-American population, according to, a, a, to, according to a Kaiser Family Foundation poll, said cited fears about safety and concerns that the vaccines are new. But the article was discussing how like there's like a deep mistrust between the African-American community and the government. And they feel that they're they're more skeptical when it comes to any of this stuff because they feel like, they're they're going out to get them or there's some kind of like you know some issues there's higher risks there's there's nothing solid concrete fact explaining any of this stuff but there's a lot of like beliefs from like you know their group of people that are arguing that you know this there's more to it than we see and like you know they're going out against african americans this is all weird how all this stuff has kind of panned out but they say that it's WebMD is arguing that it's all his the, all of this hesitancy by African Americans to get the vaccine is all rooted in distrust and doubt. But at the moment, seventy five I think that's the Tyler percentage that he said that seventy five percent of the African American population hasn't been vaccinated. So if you are African American and are watching your podcast, please go and get vaccinated because in the end of the day, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter where you're from, and we want all people to be safe and not have to go through COVID-19 and be sick and potentially have more trouble after that. Yeah, but the the mistrust makes sense. I don't know if you guys have heard of the syphilis uh, Tuskegee experiment. So that had to do with, they basically said they were treating African-Americans for syphilis or for some other diseases and didn't actually end up treating them. You had the whole cocaine crack epidemic, which was perpetuated partly by the government, even the CIA. So there are a lot of instances of the government screwing over that community. So it, it makes sense why people are hesitant. But we're at a time and place when 
we need people to get vaccinated and um despite all this it's in everyone's best interest to make that to to lower that number so uh, hopefully we can get it done but it's going to take i think nick nick said it perfectly you're going to have to take a multi-pronged approach getting influential people in the community but when you have people like Nicki Minaj speaking out i even saw people were um um protesting in favor of Nicki minaj after these tweets you had a i saw several african-american people supporting her and saying yeah this is something that we can't uh can't deny this happened and even if fauci comes out and says hey it's against the science it doesn't matter you have influential people coming out and saying hey the vaccine's causing these ailments you might become impotent you might become your testicles might swell i don't know a lot of crazy uh, side effects tyler of course they're standing up if they got swollen balls, they can't sit down. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever South seen that Park South Park episode? <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, no, I, I guess that's one thing where, frankly, I'm, I'm going to be, like, dead honest with you. And this, this may sound bad, but I genuinely believe that more black people would feel comfortable getting the vaccine if Fauci was black. If you had a black doctor telling people, hey, we know that our community has been the target. Look at Fannie Lou Hammer, huge civil rights icon. She basically was sterilized when she went to the doctor unknowingly without her consent. And it's like you, you deal with all this stuff throughout the history. And then you say, we recognize this. But look, I'm telling you, as a person deeply invested in this, as a person who is a doctor, that this thing is safe for you and your family to get. I, again, I really do think it's that trust and that messaging where sometimes you got to go like, really, you do have to work within the community to see who do people trust if, if you want them to, you know, take this vaccine, which uh, is very important for the whole country. And you also need Obama to come out and say something. I feel like, you know, he was a, he was a past president before Donald Trump and he was the first African-American president. If he said something that, you know, people need to get vaccinated or something, it would mean a bit. It would be a big deal. I feel like they've tried. I mean, and it hasn't really panned out, but they need to keep trying because until like the message gets across that you should be able, you should take this vaccine, like we're going to have to deal with the same issue for a long period of time. So it's like the sooner the better. So just to be clear, I think Obama did come out and urge people to get vaccinated, but it wasn't, I, as far as I can tell, it wasn't specifically towards the African-American community. I don't know if that would matter more or not. Um, I mean, if there was some statistics saying that this percentage of African-American population has not been vaccinated, so I, Barack Obama, am sending out a message to all my African-American brothers and sisters, etc., to, you know, get vaccinated and because, you know, this is better for the health and safety of everyone in our community and everyone in our country. Uh, I mean, that would mean a lot. It's, like, stupid that they haven't really done that, but, I mean, you're, it's sooner the better, right? Like, it's not, like... It's- well, Obama... Uh, to be fair with you, he has put out a few things, either through his spokespeople, through his foundation, through Twitter, through shows. Early on, he was getting pretty involved, especially when uh, Biden came into office. So this was back in sort of like March, April. That's when he was mm-hmm. pretty vocal about things. Um, however, why don't we turn from one of the more eloquent and well-spoken presidents to uh, the the. <laughs> The current one. Pratik, what have you got for us on uh, some of the Biden gaps that we love to do on the show? So President Biden was in a conference with the Australian government. And President Biden appeared to forget the name of the Australian Prime Minister. Scott, Prime Minister, sorry, not President. Prime Minister Scott Morrison on Wednesday when unveiling a key nuclear submarine pack calling him pal and that fella down under it was funny because we all kind of realized that Biden <laughs> forgot his name. And the news kind of went out. I was like, oh, Biden forgot his name. And the irony was that he was probably speaking with this guy for a period of time before he went on air. And the other irony is that all his speeches are probably written by like a bunch of other people. And he probably is reading a speech and he could not remember the guy's name. So either the speech writer screwed up or he screwed up or both of them screwed up. No, dude, the speechwriters, I've written speeches before, and you literally phonetically spell out the name so people know how to pronounce it when they're reading from it. And I didn't see the clip, but I'm assuming it's something like, you know, you're trying to make it look like you're not reading from a script. So you look around at the audience and you try to, and you know, they've got those panels when they're giving their speeches, so you can't see the words, but they can. And I feel like part of it is like, maybe he looked around too long. Maybe he, you know, saw a glimpse of the sun in the corner of the room. And he got lost in a daydream. Who knows? 
Yeah. No, it's just funny, though, because it was him, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of England, and the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. So he was just going around thanking everyone. He's like, thank you, Boris. I want to thank Er, that fellow down under. Uh, and then Biden takes a pause, and he's like, thank you very much, pal. Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister. He made it so obvious that he forgot this guy's name, and then he kept talking to them, but he still couldn't remember the name. It was just like, dude... He was, he was, like, trying too hard, and he made it so obvious, but this is, like, our Biden gaffe of the week. Biden's back. Yeah. It was a very moderate gaffe. It wasn't a very severe gaffe. I'll, I'll, I'll give him credit for this one. I'm not the best with names either, but it's still a... This guy screws up everywhere he goes. <laughs> yeah. Boris Johnson, by the way, is the Trump of Europe, in my opinion. Just because how, of how he looks. how he looks. <laughs> He's nothing like yeah. Trump. Yeah. He just looks like Trump. He has that comb over. Yeah. Hey, and with that, I think we're going to wrap up the show. Any final comments, guys? Well, that was episode 45 of Politican. I thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and catch us next week. Later.